I'm going to be reading from Luke 22 this morning. If you want to read along in our text, we'll be reading verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. The text reads, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Our subject will be from verse 31, sifted as wheat, sifted as wheat. This scripture, like so many, in fact, I guess I could probably say, like all scripture, when contemplated upon, uh, with any serious degree, reminds me of a scripture in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9 reads this. As soon as I get there, I'll read it to you. <clears throat> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you know much about the Bible, you know about what the Lord is talking about here to Peter and about what Peter is going to do as the Lord said he would do. And the reference to this is being sifted as wheat by Satan. And many people look at that and say, well, why would God let that happen? Why didn't God prevent that? Why this? Why that? And the answer I would give, one of them would be the text I just read. God has his ways of doing things that are not like we do it, and God's way is always the better way. And certainly if you know much about Peter, his life, what he was, and what he became, you'll know that what happened here that the Lord is talking about, while hurtful, was ultimately for Peter's good. So sifted as wheat. To enlarge upon the text and what we're talking about, and what happened to Peter and the other disciples to some degree, we're talking about sanctification. The sanctification of believers or the elect. And sanctification, while it is a theological word, it is a very simple word. We even mentioned it, I think, this morning in Sunday school. To sanctify or sanctification is a kind of a special setting apart unto holiness. Okay? The Bible says, Be ye holy as I am holy. We're not very holy. In fact, we're not holy at all. And when God saves us, then we have a divine element, a holy element within us. We become partakers of that which is holy. But it is not as holy as it can be. And sanctification is the process by which we become more Christ-like and more holy. And there's two ways you do that, and both of them complement one another. You obey what the Bible says to do, and you get further away from sin and the don't do's. All right? And you can't have one without the other. So, this sifting as wheat, 
as I have titled this message and as the reference is in the text here, is nothing more than the sanctification process. Not only of Peter, Peter particularly, but the other disciples also. And God in His wisdom knows how to do this. I can't say better than anybody else because God alone does it. (laughs) And He does it the best way it could be done. God's sanctification of Peter, of me, or of you is a very intricate and detailed process that is taking place ever since God brought you to Himself and it will continue until you take your last breath. So it is ongoing and it will never be complete or perfect in this life. It is a process that the unbelieving world will never understand and sadly many Christians do not understand for a couple of reasons. Many have never been taught and uh, then some are just negligent of what they've been taught. However, sifted as wheat is not exclusive to Peter. If you're a believer, it has happened to you. It will happen to you. I can't tell you when, where, how But let me assure you, this is put here to teach us that this is a process that the Lord allows to temper us, mold us, sanctify us, make us better vessels in His service. Peter would later write, and I'm going to read this because this is exactly what it is, this sifted by wheat sanctifying process as being the trial of your faith. I'm going to read that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Listen carefully. He's writing to others, but he was writing from personal experience because he himself, as the Lord stated in our text, would be sifted by Satan as wheat in a sieve. That the trial of your faith, and notice what he says about this, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Wow! More valuable than the greatest valuable thing we know of, earthly comparison. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to preach from that text, but do note. The trial of your faith. Trial being proving. What does a trial do when you go to a trial? It either proves, it is designed to prove by evidence the guilt or innocence of somebody or something, right? Proving. So the proving of your faith, more precious than gold that perisheth and gold is tried in fire, is designed not only for the saint or the believer's good, but also to the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, which goes back to Isaiah 55. You and I would never do it that way. But God in His wisdom knows how to do it. So, sifted as wheat. Three things we're going to look at here. Number one will be Satan's purpose and desire, which the Lord Jesus Christ certainly reveals unto Simon or Peter. And do note, he says, Simon, Simon. Anytime you read somebody especially the Lord addressing somebody 
twice the same name, it is for emphasis sake. When Abraham was about to take Isaac's life, and God spoke, and Abraham, Abraham, you know, and it, there's another place also escapes my mind, but Simon, Simon, that's an attention getter, okay? Listen up, this is serious, you. And notice he called him Simon, not by the name the Lord gave him later, Peter. He called him by his original name, Simon, here. So, Satan's purpose and desire. And I don't think I'm going to tell you anything here you probably don't already know. If you know anything about Satan, and you should because I've preached on him, we've did Bible studies and other things about him. Satan's purpose and desire is to destroy you if you are a Christian. The Bible in Revelation, and let's rehearse this a little bit, shall we? In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11, speaks here of Satan and says, They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And I never can pronounce that correctly, forgive me. One of those means destruction, the other means destroyer. And that's probably, to you and I who are believers, about the best title we could give to him. He's got a lot of titles. You know, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's a murderer, you know, and on and on many things. But the thing we need to recognize him as, he's out to destroy anything, everything. He is anti-God, he's anti-God's angels, he's anti-God's people, and he's anti-God's church, alright? I mean, his fall from heaven was because he wanted to overthrow and usurp the authority of God. If he had been successful, what do you think he'd have done with God? (laughs) I mean, he would have destroyed God, and that's what it would have took for him to be successful. Peter again, speaking again, by experience and from our text and other experiences, in 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So, again, a destroyer. Now, we know why a lion destroys. It wants to eat. It wants to satisfy an appetite. Satan has an insatiable problem with pride. And no matter how much or how many or where he can destroy, it will never ever be enough because he couldn't destroy God in the initial rebellion in heaven. So, get this point right. As we're looking at here that Peter, and I want to say, let me go ahead and say, I keep saying the others. Uh, Where do I get that? I am told that when it says here, Satan hath desired to have you, that that you is plural. I don't know how that works in grammar and Greek, but that's what I've read and what I've been told. But he's specifically, obviously speaking of Simon here, because we know he would deny the Lord and so forth. But do remember, Satan, Satan, not Satan, Peter was kind of the ringleader. He was kind of the voice for the twelve. Remember that? His personality. He had leadership qualities. They were just uh, pretty raw and undeveloped at this point and out of control. But, so no wonder he singles him out with this because he would deny him. But, as Peter was in Satan's crosshairs, so has every child of God been and so are you. And I want you to take that just as serious as you can take it today. 
He would have you to believe, well, I'm a nobody. You know, I mean, I'm not the preacher. I'm not the song leader. I'm not this. I'm not a missionary. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not the big figure. I'm not like, you know, people who don't assassinate the President of the United States because he's the big dog, you know. I'm just a little dog. Well, they don't matter. <laughs> he wants to ruin you just like he wants to ruin everybody else. Now, if he could smite the shepherd, yeah, sure, a pastor or whatever like that, lead him off into air, see air, then I could lead all y'all off and we could he could destroy this church, you know. So, sure, he's got me in the crosshairs, but don't think he don't have you in the crosshairs. Don't think he's standing back there just aimed up here and not, you know, got you in the crosshairs. He does. He wants to destroy big, small, whatever. He is out to destroy. That is his purpose. That is desire. That is his aim. That is his existence. And he'll never quit until he's cast into the bottomless pit. Now, he says here, specifically the Lord does, that he wants to sift Peter as wheat. And I must give you a little background about this. I don't know how many of you all have ever sifted anything. We don't sift our flour anymore, do we? Do you? you? You sift yours? All right. Well, I remember doing that. I remember when I was a, you know, I, I was a teenager and got to cooking a little, I'd bake cakes. Mother let me make cakes. I could, I could make a cake. But we always sifted the, the flour back then, and it was amazing. And that little basket thing, and you turn that thing, you know, you look at it, it looks good, but when you sift it, man, there's stuff in there you did not know was in there, you know. So I'm very familiar with what is sifting. But let's go back to the old testament way of what it means because this is where we got to get the meaning so i'll try to be fast i'll try to be brief but when you grew grain in old testament times barley wheat whatever it was you know anything sometimes even referred to as corn the seed the head whatever it was okay they had to go out there and harvest that by hand and uh, they could either just get the heads off of it or they'd bring the whole stalk sometimes they'd even pull it up by the roots if they didn't want to use a sickle and cut it and they'd bring it to some central place. They'd put it in shucks to start with, and they'd bring it to some central place. And the first thing they wanted to do, of course, was get the seed off of there or the grain off, right? Well, they didn't have the machinery we do today, so they had such a thing that you remember in the Bible called a threshing floor. And it was a big, hard-packed ground surface where they did this. So they put put all the, the grain, the stalks, the whole thing, whether it was pulled up by the roots or chopped with the sickle, they piled it up there. And then the threshing floor was a process whereby they tromped it, walked on it, had animals drag stuff over it, that just by that process, you know, it would separate the seeds from the head of that grain from the stalk, all right? Now, it's not a very pleasant thing to think about, isn't it? Because if you've got animals involved, you've got other problems. They're not going to take away from the problem. They're going to add to it, right? I mean, they're going to contribute excrement and things to it too. But nevertheless, they had little sleds sometimes or little things that men would ride on and they'd go around this circle and keep dragging the stuff off the pile and the animals, by walking in it, would break it loose from there. So that's the threshing floor. Well, you wasn't ready to take it and go grind it then. It's a pretty dirty mess, wasn't it? All that stuff was broken loose. It was separated, but you had the, the stuff that had been crushed, what we call chaff. You had the straw. The straw is what the Egyptians gave the Hebrews to make the brick out of, the wheat straw, stuff like that. Well, now you still need to separate it further that you got it broke loose. Well, this is a process called winnowing. 
And this is when they took, took all of that that had been threshed, and they could use a fork, use a shovel, use your hands, different people different ways, but you threw it up into the air, the grain being heavier would fall back down, the wind would catch the light stuff and carry it away. The stuff that was really light got carried further out. The straw may not get carried just a little ways. And they had to do this, obviously, when the wind's blowing. So, then after that process, you got grain, but it's not totally clean. Anybody that's ever shelled dry peas or done anything else knows it's hard to get it all out of there, right? So the final thing that was done was to sift it. And they sifted with what I am told was a sieve, like we use, we come over to your place like archaeologists used and, and shake dirt to try to find stuff that's in there, you know, archaeologically around here, things like that. Well, they made sieves. They didn't have wire like we do, again, but they would use um, rushes or some people I have read even used uh, horsehair or some type of long hair and would mat it you know, together to try to make a sieve of some kind. I am told, and I, I would like to do more research on this, I have read that one of the processes they did this, the women did it, by the way, men didn't have to do this. Women, this was women's work, as I have read. Uh, that a woman would take a sieve, which could be whatever she could handle, two, two and a half foot, and uh, she would hold it in front of her, in front of her lap, setting down and put the stuff in here. She would tilt it, and, and you did that shaking process. So there was an agitation or a shaking by which the trash, debris, whatever was in there would be sifted and sorted out from the grain. Okay? So this was, this was something that a person literally had to do, and it was the final thing, the third thing, in order to get the grain clean, where that you could then store it, grind it, make flour out of it. Okay? So we're not talking about threshing. We're not talking about winnowing. The Lord said Satan would sift you as wheat. So this is the final process. And if you look that up like in a dictionary or something, any type of sifting is a process which you are separating something. Usually a coarse material from a fine material. Archaeologically, again, all the dirt, the fine stuff falls through, the, the bigger stuff remains. Same way with chaff and with grain in that regard. But sifting involves this. It is a agitation of sort. It is a shaking of sort. And in the sense of Satan's desire to sift Peter, it would be like a woman with that sifter, except Satan is going to do it with a violent agitation, not with a purpose that the woman is to get the wheat, but Satan's going to do it in a manner to try to destroy now, the woman wants to save the wheat, right? And get the impurities out. Satan's purpose is whole different. He wants to destroy you. <laughs> he wanted to destroy Peter. He wanted to destroy his testimony. He wanted to destroy his faith. And literally, it comes down to this. But before I get to that, let me show you two scriptures in the Old Testament that you can look up and, and research this. The only two times where it talks about sifting or a sieve. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 30. And I'll just read them to you quickly and you can see the analogy that's made here in the metaphor. 
Isaiah 30 and verse 28 concerning Israel, the Lord says in his breath, or this is concerning Assyria, I believe, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nation with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. No, sift the nation with the sieve of vanity. I mean, God can do that, can he? And then over in the little book of Amos, here's a really uh, good one, 9 and 9. Amos, it says concerning Israel, Lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Now that really tells us how this process worked there. That there would be no real loss, but that they would be scattered and separated among the nations. Exactly like I explained the process a while ago. Now, Satan's intention then, when Jesus says that Satan wants to have you, that he can sift you as wheat, Satan won't want to do this process to save anything. He wants to destroy everything. We read there about not one grain of wheat will fall to the ground. Satan wants to destroy it all. The chaff, the debris, the wheat, the grain. He wants to destroy Peter's life. And again, I can't emphasize enough today how much Peter wants to do that to every one of us who believe. Say, well, Peter's an apostle. Well, so what? You're a believer. You're a child of God. And if he can ruin your testimony, how many other people can you influence and be a bad apple to? You know, that look up to you. Your testimony is important. Your life is important. And we're looking at this today so that we can be forewarned about this, about Satan's intention, why God permits it, and how it's for our good. Okay? Now, there's an excellent example besides this that we have in the Old Testament that helps us understand that. Anybody know what that is? Job. Job. The Bible says in Revelation 12 and 10, I believe it is, you turn there and see. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation, strength, and kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is not only a destroyer, he's an accuser. And when you read the account of Job, what do you find? What are you doing, Satan? I'm walking up to and fro up on the face of the earth. You know what? He's, he's that roaring lion walking around seeking whom he devoured. And if you happen to be the weak one of the lot, then he's going to focus his attack on you. What did he do? You know the case. i got to be brief here. You know, God instigated that conversation, by the way, which is always amazing to me, and I hate to leave that out. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, yeah, let me get at him. He ain't got nothing. I mean, if you let me get a hold of him, I'll show you there ain't nothing to him. God let him do it, didn't he? And when he didn't ruin him at first... Then God allowed him to get not at his material things, but at his own personal thing, his body, right? He said, you can't kill him. Satan says, I'll ruin him. I'll show you. Go back to the sifting principle again. Satan is saying, when I get done with him, there ain't going to be nothing left. You claim he's a man of faith, God. When I get through sifting, when I get through working him over, 
we're going to find out he wasn't nothing but chaff. There won't be nothing left when I'm done with him. He wants to ruin Job. It didn't work out too good for Satan, did it? It's not going to work out here. Is he going to affect Simon Peter? Absolutely. Is he going to destroy him for the rest of his life? Absolutely not. Satan's mission is to destroy, and God uses Satan for his own divine purposes. Job was a better man when his trial and test of his faith was over at the hands of Satan than he would have ever been if it had never happened. We have to admit that if you've ever read the book of Job and you read the closing chapters. God worked all of that quote-unquote bad for Job's good and God's glory. Because Job said, before I just heard of you, now, you know, I mean, now I've seen you, so to speak. In other words, he was made better in that regard. So, Satan is a cuter, an accuser. The Lord knew Satan's intention here. He knew it would be permitted. And Satan is simply saying again, although it's not written, it would be inferred here that Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to do to you what he did to Job. He wants to, he wants to prove to everybody that you ain't nothing but chaff. You say you're a follower, you say a believer, but you're going to deny me three times, ain't nothing to you. Well, you know, a lot of people, I have to say this sadly, a lot of people who claim to be Christians, that's all they are is chaff. And time will prove it. The dog will go back to the vomit, the sow, the sow will go to the mire, it'll prove it. But, as in Job, we recognize here, Satan, Satan in this case, will be the sieve. He's a utensil. He's an instrument in God's hand as he was with Job. And remember this, Satan is on God's leash and always has been and always will be. He can only get at you when God allows it and only for the time and the purpose that God allows it. Just like Job. I am so thankful that we have the example of Job and that we have this in the New Testament and that we can put this together and know this truth and be prepared for it and to know the outcome. A lot of people don't understand what I'm talking about today. They don't understand why Christians suffer. They don't understand the instrumentality of Satan in God's hand. The book of Job is there to teach us all that. And it's not just there. God uses all kinds of instruments besides Satan. Assyria, we mentioned over there a while ago, God used a whole nation like he used Egypt, you know, as a sieve or an instrument in that respect. But remember, Satan is on a leash. He has to have God's permission. This is the intricacy of what's going on out there in the world that we can't see between elect angels and the demons and everything else trying to get at God's people. There's a war going on out there. There always has been. It's going to culminate in a big war that we read about in the book of Revelation. But again, Satan can't go beyond what God permits him to do according to the conditions that God set just like he did with Job. The degree, the time, and everything else in the details of that is all determined by God. Secondly, what is God in Christ's purpose desire? that Satan would sift Peter as wheat. Well, the first thing I'd like to say, it's a, it's a tremendous blessing here that Christ warned Peter at all. 
And we have the warning today for ourselves. Well, if he did it to him, if he did it to Job, who are we to think we're exempt? We're not exempt. Again, if you're a child of God, you're automatically in the crosshairs. You're automatically the enemy of Satan. He wants to destroy you. And it don't matter who you are. So we have a warning. What is God and Christ's purpose in this? Well, I said it at the beginning. It's to sanctify His people. To make them holy. To make them holier. To purify them. And when we use that word purify, what are we talking about? How do you purify anything? You just can't cook something into purity, can you? (laughs) No, but when you cook it, what does happen many times? Peter mentioned over there, remember 1 Peter 1.7, about more precious than gold tried in the fire. Alright? I saw a deal just the other day and somebody on a, uh, something in a TV show, they had these gold bars and old boy picked one up and he said, look at there, it said 99.9% pure. Okay? I mean, you try to purify everything because it makes it more valuable. But he, I just, it stuck in my head. Still not totally pure, you know. I mean, man can do his best, but he can't get it 100% in that regard. But how do you get it to 90 or 99%? Do you add stuff to it? No. How do you purify gold, silver, anything like that? You've got to get the bad stuff out. Right? I mean, when God saved you, the good went in. You have the Holy Spirit. And since then, like I often tell you, the Holy Spirit is in the process of getting rid of the bad stuff and the garbage that was already there. That's sanctification. So Christ's purpose, Christ's desire, His intentions and the work of the Holy Spirit within you is to sanctify you. Make you more holy by what? Getting rid of the undesirable, unpure, bad stuff that was already there. And this is why it's referred to as a trial of your faith and by fire. It's painful. It hurts the old flesh. I mean, would you volunteer to walk in the valley of the shadow of death? You'd avoid it like I would. But it's necessary. Would you go willingly and sit at a table prepared for your enemy? You know, in the presence of your enemy, Psalms 23. No, we'd avoid that. They're our enemies. I don't want to be around them. But the Lord takes those things as part of our sanctification, exposes us to things, works us to things, things that are painful to sanctify us. Think about the sifting process again. Sanctifying, removing the impurities, the undesirables. And you got them, and I got them, and we've always had them. And hopefully today you can say, by the grace of God, I don't have the garbage that I once had. And I hope tomorrow I'm rid of some more of it. This is what it means to grow up and to mature. It's just like this. Let's go back to that analogy again. Let's suppose you were not a wheat farmer. You didn't have a field. You didn't grow it. Where are you going to get? How are you going to make bread? How are you going to get flour? You could go to the market and buy the wheat. Okay? It had been threshed. It had been winnowed. And there it is in a sack or in some type of container. Well, it all looks pretty good. All right, I'll take a pound of that, you know? 
But you, like we, I said at the beginning, when I used to sift the flour, it all looked good when you looked in the bag, but when you sifted it, you found there was stuff in there you didn't know was there. Sifting through a sieve is in fact a revealing. Now we're talking about a different standpoint. Satan don't care what's there. He wants to prove what's not there and destroy it. God allows Satan to do it to reveal what he knows is there, but what we don't know is there. Right? In other words, you don't know what you're made out of. Neither do I know what I'm made out of. Satan, Peter didn't know what he was made out of. But this process that God allowed is going to reveal what's there. Satan says there ain't nothing there. God's going to say, I'll show you what's there. Go ahead and do it. He did it with Job. He's doing it here. So that woman buys that pound of wheat, takes it home. It looks like pretty good wheat, pretty high quality. Don't see a lot of trash in it. And so she starts running it through her sieve. Well, when you start running it through that sieve, you're going to find out what percent of good you got and what percent of bad you got, don't you? If it's been done really good, you know, then when you get it all sifted, you're going to have nearly your whole pound of wheat with just a few rocks and a little bit of trash here. If somebody didn't do it good, it could turn out 50-50. 50 trash, 50 good grain, right? But the sieve and the sifting is the process to reveal it. So Christ, God, by allowing this to Job, to Satan, and you, has a different desire than Satan's to destroy. He doesn't do it because he doesn't like us. Because he doesn't love us. No, he loves us. That's why he allows it for our good in order to show us, others, the elect angels, and even Satan. What's really there? Now I want to know, don't you? Do you want to just say, well, i got a great faith, I nobody needs to show me? That's foolish, isn't it? We know we don't know ourselves like God does. And this is His process of revealing Satan as well as other people, circumstances, sickness, I mean, God's got all kinds of utensils in His kitchen He can use to do some sifting with, you know? But it's all to reveal and show us you got stuff there we need to get rid of. And this was especially the case of Peter. Peter was bold. That's good. He was impulsive. His mouth was bigger than he was. Peter was one of those guys at this time that I don't know if y'all have ever heard the old saying. I've heard it all my life. If you could have bought him for what he was worth and sold him for what he thought he was worth, man, you'd have been a millionaire. He wasn't what he thought he was, was he? I mean, we read it right there. He said, Oh, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll die with you. He says, the, the rooster won't even crow for you. You've denied me thrice, Peter. He wasn't what he thought he was. The Lord knew what he was. The Lord knew what was in there. And the Lord said, it's not good enough. It's mine, but like Job, I can make it better. I can make him a vessel better suited for my purposes. And he does and is doing and will do the same with you if you're a child of God. In fact, he's been doing it ever since he saved you. So while Satan rather is violent, has violent and destructive intentions... 
God's means is using Satan's for our good. He allows it. He permits it in order to reveal what is there and in order to purify us in that regard. Finally, let's look at Peter's perseverance. Jesus says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Again, it is a trial of his faith, isn't it? Satan's accusing, saying he don't have any faith. When I get done with him, you'll see he won't have any. Lord says, go ahead. I, I just find this so amazing every time I talk on this, whether it's Job or how Satan's instrumental in this. That God can allow somebody like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, or Satan to just come in and, and with a destructive attitude to destroy the people God's love, and yet God overrules that, that their destructive intentions ends up purifying his people. That just or brings them to repentance. That that only God can do that. And that's what he does here. Peter, this is going to happen. But I'm not, I'm not letting it happen because I don't like you or because you insulted me or because of this, that. No, it's happening because I care for you. And it's going to make you better. I have prayed for you, Peter. Now I want to say also, not only did he pray for Peter, but he prayed for all of them. Read John 17, the intercessory prayer. What? He prayed for all that the Lord had given him. And he even prayed for you in John 17 if you're a child of God. He said, not only for these also, but these alone, but for those others that I'll bring into the fold. So if he prayed for Peter, he's praying for you. He's interceding for you right now. But at the same time, he can allow this to happen. So Peter was bold. He was out of control. He was impulsive. He wasn't what he thought he was. His faith was not thought he was. I mean, he said, I'll die with you, Lord. He thought he had it, didn't he? I mean, when he looked in himself, all he saw was the best, prettiest, purified quality of wheat you would ever see. He couldn't see the rocks. He couldn't see the debris. He couldn't see the trash. He couldn't see the chaff. But God said, no, you're not what you think you are. I'm going to show you what you are, and I'm going to get rid of that stuff that's hindering you. And he did just that. He did just that. These things in Peter, just like the things in us, you know what they need? They need to be exposed. If you don't know they're there, you're deceived about who you are, the Lord has a way of revealing your faults and your failures and of removing them. And when you get the trash out, then there's room for humility. And Peter sure didn't have any humility. I'm not bashing Peter. I can see myself in Peter or these other disciples. They were all offended for him. But one thing Peter didn't have was humility. You know what? He's fixing to get a big dose of it. But he didn't have room for it. Here, his mouth is overloading him. Pride's going to take a big hit. And once it's out of the way, humility can come in there. And if he does it with him, he does it for you. Proof of his perseverance here, the Bible said he was first seen of Cephas after the Lord resurrected. The first one of the twelve that saw him was Peter. 1 Corinthians 15 and 5, Luke 24, 34. And then the Lord reminded him of this before the Lord ascended. Remember John chapter 21? Peter, when they had the little... Uh, uh, 
I say, I, I'm not demeaning it. Was that the little fish fry on the Sea of the Galilee? And the Lord fed him. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord, you know. Remember how many times he asked Peter that same question? Three times. Point being, how many times did Peter deny the Lord like he, Jesus? Three times. Made the point. He wasn't trying to hurt him. He just reminded him. It was for his good. Do you love me? Now, Peter persevered. Why and how? Very simple. I prayed for you that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, it was an if you're converted. Jesus said, when you're converted. I mean, this had a positive outcome from the get and go. It was going to be for Peter's good and also strengthen thy brother. That verse I read in 1 Peter a while ago, chapter 1 and verse 7. Let me read to you verse 5. When Satan got done, what was left? Was Peter destroyed? No. Satan couldn't destroy him. He can't destroy you. Not totally. Not as far as your salvation is concerned. He can destroy your testimony if you yield to temptation, but not your salvation. Verse 5 of 1 Peter 1, who are kept by the power of God. How are we kept? By the power of God. That's it. That's what perseverance is all, all about. Through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter persevered and it was to God's glory. The man who spoke here and told the Lord I'll go die with you was a different man on the day of Pentecost. He wasn't carrying that trash around on the day of Pentecost that he had here. Between the time of the Lord's Betrayal that night, his crucifixion, those 40 days, Pentecost 50 days, you know. In that 50 days, Peter was changed into a vessel. And I don't know when, where, how, only God knows all that. But God used this to make him that preacher that preached that great, marvelous, bold message yet in humility on the day of Pentecost. When you're converted, Peter, he wasn't destroyed, but he had need of repentance. And by this experience, then he could help others. When you are converted, Peter, strengthen your brethren. And as you know, in the book of Acts, Peter was the leader still. But he wasn't the same Peter that we see here. Let's conclude. Satan is evil. Satan is God's instrument. He brings about suffering. His purpose and intent is to destroy you, make you miserable, make your life living in obedience to Christ miserable, destroy, hinder any way he can. But just be reminded, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And He is simply God's fire. He is simply God's tool. He is simply God's instrument. That while I'll use the term, He's hell-bent on destroying us, God's not going to allow that. But He will, through His evil intentions, allow Him to purify us. Now Satan don't want to purify you. The last thing he wants to see is you sanctified. Think about that. 
God uses the destroyer to purify. <laughs> that just is amazing to me. And we experience that how? That through the trials of our faith, whatever they may be, we have a revealing of what we have within us that we need to get rid of. You know, the garbage needs to be taken out of our lives sometimes. There's stuff that needs to go. We can't have good stuff there because we got too much this bad habit or that bad thing or this bad thing. This is the whole purpose. To make us a vessel sanctified for the Master's use. To God's glory. We'll read it one more time. 1 Peter 1.7 That the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. That's the experience. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God bless this to your hearing.